Welcome, everyone, to It's a Rap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate, and people who can educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Ari Gunsberg. Ari learned about death early in life. He experienced a traumatic moment when only 10 years old, when his teacher passed away while on a hiking trip. This would affect his life deeply and changed his perspective forever. Following the death of this teacher and rabbi, there was trouble afoot at school for all the traumatized kids. This created a domino effect of changes and decisions that all culminated in Ari getting his PhD from the School of Hard Knocks through multiple bad decisions and the outcome of those decisions. Having to live through these decisions and consequences has taught Ari many important life lessons, all of which he passes on to others. Learning and living past your mistakes. Regret not, but learn from your mistakes, says Ari, reminiscing the wild cycles he experienced during his misspent youth. Any lesson gained from real life experiences is the one you no longer need to learn in a formal education setting. Ari has had many life-changing experiences each of which shaped him from trouble in school to going to unexpected places and more. Ari is now a motivational speaker, podcast host, and a wilderness liaison, as well as authoring The Little Book of Greatness, a parable about unlocking your destiny. Welcome, Ari, to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure having you, Ari. Ari, can you tell us a little bit about your early years growing up? Uh, before the age of 10, when uh, the traumatic event occurred? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, for the large part of it, uh, you know, so my family moved when I was about five to Baltimore, and I hit it off immediately with my next door neighbor at the time. Uh, huh. And we happened to like live in a little spot where there were, you know, houses on one part, and right behind the houses was this condominium uh property with two buildings and in between the two buildings was like a forest and our houses backed up into this like forest and i say forest right i mean if as an adult we walked through there my brother and i walked through there also to like kind of like check and take a look it's like maybe it's an acre you know like it's you could see from one end to the other like easily but but you know as kids yeah with the bushes around and everything else like it was massive and it was just you know we 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 played games in there we had adventures and we built clubhouses and we built this and we built that and then i mean um it was really just a just a wonderful place to be able to grow up in uh you know to have that freedom and and you know the stories that i could tell you from the different things that happened in there from the time that a friend of mine was we're uh i don't remember if we all were doing it or just he was doing it like he was like throwing his bike down a hill to like watch it roll down the hill by itself and everything. And, and uh, yeah. at one point in time, he ran over a beehive. <laughs> we all went running to, um, you know, another time where we were all like uh, competing to like climb to the top of this vine. That was maybe, I want to say like 10 feet high, but you know, maybe as an adult, if I looked at it, maybe I would say it's like six or seven feet. High. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know how that is when you're a little, um, and then, uh, you know, there was also a couple of times when I would like walk through the woods, maybe by myself and I would see like a hawk. There, there is one clear vivid memory, like this hawk, like had grabbed a squirrel and was yeah. sitting like on his vine, like not so far away from the ground. And like it had ripped it open and it was just like eating. And it was like just like tons and tons of memories like that, uh, you know, that just adventures and make believe and, and uh, all sorts of things. It really um, sounds like a great childhood. Yeah. 
yeah it was it was pretty awesome um and then this and then that event happened at 10 and and shortly afterwards we ended up moving away from there which was a pretty hard thing for me to go through and everything um the moving away i'm saying because like you know yeah. that was like my space that was where i wanted to be and sure and it's like all right you're not gonna be there anymore um that was pretty yeah. hard so can you explain to us what happened on that school hiking trip which was part of a larger field trip i understand when you were 10 and could you also tell us what you and your family's feelings uh about your teacher uh, rabbi that passed away were yeah so uh I, I know we have like a bit of a time limit and i think you have a lot of questions prepared so i'll try and give a, a cliff notes version a little bit um so we were on a field trip it was a there's a day in the spring that uh yearly people um traditionally tend to go out and you know maybe they make bonfires maybe they do a barbecue maybe they, you know whatever it is that they do but a lot of a lot of times traditionally it's like bonfires and uh, happiness and stuff like that. Cause you know, it's, it's, we're getting up to summer. Uh, there's a lot of deeper other reasons there, but I'm not going to go into those right now. The main point is, uh, we were supposed to have one of those trips on the day of the rabbi had a, I think he had a doctor's appointment that day, or maybe it was bad weather. So we ended up pushing it off by three, four days. And so we're on this trip and we go to this, uh, park in Baltimore and we play baseball. And I don't, remember if we ended up having the barbecue or if we were supposed to have the barbecue but we hadn't had it yet but in either case we had played some baseball we're about to go we're uh, hiking in the woods we go hiking in the woods and you know like in the woods the rabbi's like you know look at the tree over there look how this system works with that and look how this over here works and he's just showing us all these amazing things about god's world right and um you know after a little while we were 10 years old. There's only 17 of us. There's only, there's only 17 kids. And this is back in the nineties when people were just a lot more relaxed about things. And, you know, we were like, Can we run ahead. He's like, yeah, go run ahead. Just stay on the path, whatever. And um, I was up ahead with a bunch of kids. We, were, we had found like a stream and we were waiting for everybody to catch up. And in the meantime, we were playing in the water. Um, and then like some kids like came out from the, from the woods and like looked down the hill, uh, you know, cause like sometimes in the woods, like you'll have a hill, you can kind of like see down. So they yeah. looked down the hill at us playing in the stream and they kind of like called out to like, guys, guys, you got to come. Rebbe's hurt. Like, you know, we ignore them because they've, they've got to be joking. You know, you're in fourth grade, uh, most basically anytime anything like that happens, it's somebody pulling your leg. Sure. You know? Um, but after they asked, after they kept on saying the same thing a bunch of times, we're like, all right, maybe there's something really going on over here. And we got up and we ran back and uh you know the, the moment was like really surreal in my in my head like i had still have like this vivid picture of it uh you know there's 17 kids some of the kids are sitting down i mean everybody's in shock some yeah kids are sitting, imagine. Some kids are standing i was just it was just sitting around like the rabbi is just laying on top of this bed of leaves and one particular kid is is completely hysterical he's like sitting there kneeling screaming at him he's like get up get up what are you doing it's not funny anymore he's like screaming at the rabbi he's just lying down on the ground and um, so we, you know, we realized it was time to go for help. And so I and three kids were like, all right, we're going to go this way. No, I and two kids, three of us went one direction. And then another seven kids were like, you're going the wrong way. It's this way. And we're like, no, we're going the right way. It's this way. You know, it was a little shouting match back and forth. It was chaotic. It was, it was, it was chaotic. It wasn't, it wasn't that chaotic. Like we weren't like coming to arms about which way to go, but it was kind of yeah. like, no, you guys go that way. We're going to go this way. We'll find our way out of here. And so seven kids stayed behind with the rabbi. Um, and, and, you know, like we were trying to find our way out. It was like a hot, hot day. And if you've ever been in Baltimore, it's like this, this mid-Atlantic mugginess that just, you know, just, I mean, even, even in early, mid to late spring, you know, you get that 
thick, heavy air. And it's just like so hard to like move and breathe. And we're like, we don't know what happened. We're like, was it the heat? Was it overexertion? So like, we would like run, run, run. Cause we're in this like panic mode. But then we'd be like, wait guys, we got to stop. We got to take a break. We got to like cool down because maybe that's what would, the, maybe there was the heat that was a problem. And so like, we were kind of like half panicking, half stopping. It was like a weird, weird situation, but we still didn't fully know our way out of the woods. And like off in the distance, we like heard this noise. We're like, what, what is that? And it started to like clarify into more like music. And we're like, oh, there's music. Okay. Maybe it's a carnival, you know, like, but, but in any case, like if there's music, there's people. And if there's right. people, there's help. So we got to go towards the music. So we started walking towards the music and we got to the edge of the woods. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I often associate it with, you know, it had to be God sat there and put this idea in this guy's head that day today's the day that you get dressed up and you go to the woods and you practice because at the edge of the woods was a dude standing there wearing a kilt and playing the bagpipes no kidding. by himself just standing at the edge of the woods practicing um but but from that point when we came out of the woods and we see this guy playing the bagpipes you could see off in the distance some buildings so we ran over to the buildings found some people inside the buildings i, I later found out that it was uh, i believe outward bound because uh, there's an outward bound campus on that on that um park property and we grabbed a couple of guys and we were like yeah something happened so one kid stayed behind to, in case the other kids showed up and right. uh two of us led them back to the rabbi and one guy got there and immediately started doing CPR to try and help him. And the other guy sat there and took the nine of us that were left, right? Because two right. of us went back and there were seven kids left over, took the nine of us that were left. And we're like, guys, come on, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go. And he led us out of the woods and took us back over to the building. The other seven kids in the meantime came out of the woods. So now you've got all 17 of us out of the woods. Our rabbis in the woods. We have no idea what's flying. The school comes out, you know, some of the administrators and, and other people from the school they come out to the park and they're like talking to talking amongst themselves and this is another like vivid memory that i have is that you know we were kind of just standing around this massive tree trunk watching them talking 20 30 feet away no idea what's going on no right. information because they're not going to tell a bunch of 10 year olds hey by the way here's the outcome of the story yeah um so our teacher from the year before whose van we had borrowed to go to this park was like everybody get in the van and he wouldn't say a word to us and he just was like where do you live and he would just drive that person home get out where do you live and he would drive that person home and it was just he like stone-faced wouldn't say a word and we're like i mean terrified we have no idea what's going on we're like in shock we're like ah, <laughs> what's happening right um and so eventually he dropped me off and my dad came home whenever he came home i don't remember exactly and i'm looking at my dad and and my dad's like so you know what happened why'd you come home i'm like i, I don't know and i told a little bit about what happened on the trip and he's like oh let me call the school so he picks up the phone and he calls the school you know you can hear him and i hi it's dr gunsberg my son field trip came home whatever and you could just as he's talking to the person like i just want to find out what happened like you could just look at his face and just watch everything just drop yeah yeah. And, and, you know, just completely just crestfallen and he hangs up the phone and he looks up at me just a few feet away and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, he's, he's gone. And uh, we were in the kitchen at this old house we used to have, I think the kitchen, the foyer, one of the two, like I remember the linoleum floor and he just like wrapped me up in this hug and he just stood there for, I mean, what felt to me for like 45 minutes, an hour, it might've only been three minutes for all I know, but I'm saying we just stood there crying for like a long time. Sure. Um, and you had asked before, like, you know, the, the reaction of my family and everything. So um, I don't fully know everybody's reaction. I know my dad, I think, felt close to him, uh, felt certainly felt a level of gratitude and appreciation to him. 
and I'll explain. Um, but but part of the explanation is also explaining the greatness of the man that that had left us, right? Yeah, right. Um, so at his funeral, I mean, I, I don't remember his funeral barely at all. His funeral barely at all. But like, there were probably, if not thousands, there were certainly hundreds of people there. You know, students from the years that he had spent teaching and everything, um, they all came in from the different schools that they had gone off to and everything, and they drove down and they made sure to be there. You know, it was it was a it was a massive, massive shock to the community because he wasn't an old man. He was 50 years old. Wow. wow. Um, you know, but uh, so but one of the things that they had continued to reiterate was that he had passed away in the place that he would have wanted to have been in, which was in nature with his students. Right. Right. But now getting back to what I had said about my family and the greatness. So um, so he had affected a, a tremendous amount of people in their lives. He was an eighth grade rabbi, which it means that he was the rabbi for kids who were on their way into high school in uh, religious Jewish culture. People going to high, Jewish boys going to high school in this uh, in this uh, portion of religious Jewish high school, which is called Yeshivish end up getting going off to a boarding school called a yeshiva and you know which school somebody chooses can have a tremendous effect on how well they do how well they do academically how well they do in um in the different yeshiva studies how well they end up you know it, it can it can change their life for better or for worse sure and so he was a, a a tremendous resource for people who were like where do i send my kid now he's going into ninth grade which school is going to be the best one for my kid so people would constantly like ask him, okay, where should I send my kid? Where should I send my kid? And and um, so there was there's a story that was written down in a book of like memories from his life where somebody said, you know, they called him up. They said, you know, where should I send my kid? And he's like, ah, I'm sorry, I don't I don't know your son at all. Like, I, how am I supposed to recommend a school for your son when I don't know him? Yeah. And so the parents were like, okay, yeah, fine, no problem. But thinking that that was the end of it, but that wasn't the end of it. He said, so I'll tell you what, why don't we do some Talmudic studies in the evening? for a couple of weeks and I'll spend some time with your son. I'll get to know him a little bit. And once I know him a little bit, I can recommend what the best school for him is. So he went out of his way, went out of his way. And like, there was never, there was never a case where he would be like, no, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, it was yeah. always, it was always like, you know, what can I do to go above and beyond and really help out? Right, so it right. turns out he actually was the one who was instrumental in getting my older brother into the eighth grade school that he went to. Cause he was having trouble with the schools in Baltimore. And, um, so that's like, you know, so that my dad had had an interaction with him in that case. And then also, uh, and just one or more story about this, like the greatness of him and everything is like, yeah, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, this, this was a guy like he had, he had like, I forget exactly 12 or 13 or 14 kids or something. So he had a, he had a large family, a lot of stuff going on and everything. And he still managed to find time for everybody else. Um, he, one time a neighbor of his was like heading out on a weekend trip. And, uh, and, you know, as religious Jews, like people are timed, right? They have to be there by a certain time on Friday because that's when the Sabbath starts and the cutoff is and you can't travel anymore. Right, sundown. Yeah, sundown, exactly. Right. So uh, the person like was going to go and travel or something and their car broke down. I don't remember if it happened, like if it, the car broke down on the highway or whatever. Maybe he like, went to go pick them up or something. But in any case, he's like, oh, you guys were like going away, right? They're like, yeah. He's like, here's my keys. Take my car go they're like but your car you need he's like no 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 get in the car go we'll figure it out afterwards like go and have your trip and everything like completely totally selfless um wow. and just you know just uh just somebody who we can all try a little bit to emulate and uh and elevate ourselves by doing so he sounds like a great guy yeah how was the event 
a catalyst to many different struggles in the next five to 10 years of your life? So I would say to some degree, it's a catalyst because it left a hole, right? I mean, anything that we go through that's traumatic that we don't deal with, uh, a friend of mine became, you know, at first he was a principal and then, and then I saw him a few years later, I haven't seen him in years, but like um, uh, he became a principal and then he, from a principal, he went and he became a social worker. And I saw him at this event. You know, he's like, he's like, he's a much closer friend of my brother-in-law than he is of mine. You know, he's an ancillary friend for my, for me, but he said something that was like tremendous. He was like, he explained, he's like, one of the biggest things that I learned is that you know, we think like a traumatic event has to be a particular type of event. It has to be traumatic. It has to be yeah. this. It has to be that. He's like, a traumatic event is whatever causes trauma for a person and then is not dealt with. So it could be the smallest thing in the world. But if it for the person that it happened to, it was a big thing and it was never dealt with. Right. It's a traumatic event. Sure. And um, so I found that very, very enlightening. But anyways, this event was a traumatic event. We never properly dealt with it. I and the rest of the kids in the class, I don't think. At this point, maybe some of them have. Uh, and it leaves a hole. It leaves a, it leaves a big a big gaping hole in everything. And uh, it has a tremendous effect in that way. Uh, separately from that, and I would say probably more so than that, I mean, meaning we have this big hole and that's, that's what's going on over there. But then more so than that, I feel like there was this level of, I don't even know the right word for it, but um, level of neglect from the school for all the kids in the class because of, you know, what, what, how, the, how our schooling went for the next three years. And I wasn't there for eighth grade. Uh, I had left already by that point. So that was fourth grade. So for fifth, sixth, and seventh. So for fifth grade, they gave us a brand new rabbi who had never taught before. Uh, for sixth grade, they gave us a brand new rabbi who had never taught before. So meaning instead uh-huh. of being like, Here's an experienced teacher who knows how to deal with kids and knows how to sit there and see when a kid is having trouble and knows how to do this and knows how to do that. They were like, no, no, no here's a brand new one. So, the, so there, there was no continuity. No continuity and no, no, no safety net, really, I think is the best way to put that. I mean, now, now, don't get me wrong, right? It's not that these two rabbis were bad. I'm saying at, right. this point, at this point, they've been teaching in that school, I think, for 20 plus years, you know? Yeah. Um, so clearly, you know, they were on the path to being a great teacher, but 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 at the time, they just had no experience and everything. So it was yeah. fifth grade and sixth grade, brand new rabbis, and then in seventh grade, um, they they had done a mishmash of the class. So now it was like half the kids that had all this trauma happened a few years ago, but they had severe problems finding a teacher for uh, the the um, the English studies, and we ended up with a teacher who was like a complete and total monster. I mean, um, I can't even tell you like stories because like I don't really remember them, but like it was it was just bad. I mean, uh, one time I was trying to like reminisce, not in a good way, anything, but reminisce with a kid that I was in class with, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, do you remember like in seventh grade? He's like, I shut that entire year out of my life. Like I won't even talk about it. I'm like, okay. Um, and wow. they, they, so they ended up with a lot, major, major, major behavioral issues from the kids because the kids were going through like a really, really bad time. I had gone to the principal like on my own, like, you know, okay, like there's a problem. Let me fix it. And I went to the principal. I said, I need you to put me in the class. Like just, you know, just switch my English class. And he's like, I can't do it. Nope. Won't do it. Um, it was just bad. And my parents weren't, you know, the, my parents weren't listening to me. They since apologized, of course, um, not of course, but they since, you know, recognized and apologized, but um so you know so I'm, I'm you know we're having we had had not an easy year for fifth grade we had had not an easy year for sixth grade and then they gave us this like monster every year for seventh grade and eventually they came up with this policy a little bit ludicrous again this is all happening in the 90s so like yeah you know, 
any any normalcy. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't have any expectations. We're going back. We're going worth, back. What 30, 30 years? Not quite that much, but yeah, it's some yeah. twenty something years. Um, yeah. And I mean, I know it was probably worse in the seventies, but like still, you know, like nothing. Anyway, right. um, the they they came up with an idea. They're like, if you get if somebody gets kicked out of class three times, meaning the teacher says get out of my classroom three times, you're suspended for a week. So um, so I ended up getting kicked out a third time the week before Passover started. So they suspended me for a week, going straight into Passover vacation. Now it gets worse yes. because they suspended me for that week, going into Passover vacation and Passover vacation. That's when my bar mitzvah was. That's when my birthday was, my 13th birthday. Right. So here I am suspended for a week. Now it's my 13th birthday. Now the, you know, so, but like I haven't been to school and like Passover vacation is like two, three weeks long, depending on how the year lands. And um, so now it's like three, four weeks since I've gone back to school. And like, now it's time to go back to school. My parents are like, okay, go back to school. And I'm like, no. And they're like, you need to go back to school. And I'm like, there's no way. And like, it turned into a massive fight, including getting physically, not, not violent, but like physical. And um, it was just like, I was, I put my foot down and I was like, there's no way I'm going back to that school. And it caused a tremendous amount of, of issues inside of my own family. And then there was like the issues. Cause like, I'm kind of there, I'm kind of not there. And like, it's also my bar mitzvah. So the kids are maybe supposed to come. Maybe they're not supposed to, it was just really a weird moment and everything. Um, and then, and then like a month or two, a month or so later or something, the school sent a letter to my house and they're like, yeah, if you don't come by this in the state, we're going to expel you or not. My parents might be freaking out. I don't know. I was like, dude, I, I, I left. <laughs> you can expel all you want. Yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah. Anymore. Like, You're not coming like, back. Yeah. Right, and then, right. um, thank God, thank God the other school, cause there weren't, there's not that many choices or anything, you know? Uh, so the other school overlooked the, cause a lot of times people are like, we don't want somebody who's been expelled, but like they over, they overlooked the expulsion and they, they, uh, they brought me into the school. Um, and I think I had a fairly successful eighth grade year the only downside is, is that a lot of the kids that I was becoming friends with were, we were all kind of heading in the wrong direction. You know, like we were talking before the show started, you know, you are typically the average of the people you hang out with the most. Absolutely. And so a lot of us were just making uh, decisions. It seemed like great decisions at the time, but, you know, in retrospect, were, uh, were, were decisions that were leading us in the way that we shouldn't necessarily go. But right. great people. I'm friends with all of them to this day. Um, but, you know, we were all just making stuff, making decisions that were not necessarily best for us. And then, um, you know, so like, so again, so like I had this gaping hole and then those three years were just not very successful years. And, um, and then from, you know, just, I mean, it's, it's, I, I like to tell people like people are usually looking for some epiphany, you know, like uh, what were you going through in your life? And then all of a sudden, boom, one day you changed, you know, one day you changed this way, one day you changed that way, right. For better, for worse. And I'm, yeah. I try to tell people that it, in, in my viewpoint, I don't really see it as, as just a, a random epiphany that like happens all of a sudden. I mean, there, there could be people who will have that. I suspect more so that people will kind of create the epiphany. You know, it'll happen. They'll create the epiphany afterwards and go back and attribute it all to this epiphany. Yeah. Um, with the exception of like a rock bottom moment, right? Like if right. somebody's an addict situation and there's a rock bottom moment like that could easily be an epiphany moment like holy crap my life sucks i gotta change something right Fine. but like um but i, I put it more to just kind of like uh more of like a like an over underlying awareness over a long period of time that you so so you kind of like make these decisions that kind of like lead you kind of down the wrong path 
And then you kind of have an idea of where you want to be in the future. And so you recognize you have to make a bunch of small decisions to build yourself back up to where you wanted to be, to be whatever mm -hmm. it is that you're looking for, to be more productive, to be more giving, to be, you know, whatever growth you're looking for. So it's a slow transition. I, I find that baby steps is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was going to ask you, uh, and I guess you kind of answered it, what kind of counseling was available to the class, but it, did they give you any counseling at all? Not, I mean, so they did, but they didn't. Uh, they brought in somebody, I don't know who. Uh, I imagine it was probably somebody just fresh out of school because it didn't seem like they had a lot of experience. Um, they did one, maybe two sessions with us. Uh, I'll give you an example. I mean, there's a, there's a much, 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 much greater awareness for this need for grief counseling after like there's this massive traumatic event. Right. And, and in now that I'm thinking about it right this moment, like probably they should have sat there and even if they had to find somebody to donate the money for whatever, they probably should have sat there and pulled every single kid out for minimum 10 sessions with somebody so that, because like, a lot of people are a closed book, especially after something like that happens. And you can't sit there and put 17 kids in a classroom, in, in, a, in, a, in a little kid's classroom, right, with a bunch of little baby toys with somebody who's not so experienced and expect them all to just open up and have this, like, you know, healing moment. Right. Um, you know, the reason I bring it up is because just the other day there was a reunion for one of the summer camps and there was this tragic, tragic accident. And, like, a little a 15-year-old girl passed away, unfortunately. Um, and so my niece was in that camp. She was at that reunion and, you know, but like they're posting, you know, the, the classmates or, you know, here's where, here we're doing like this whole thing and we're doing grief counseling. And even if you're not a classmate, we don't really care if you have any questions, if you're struggling with this, anything like show up at the school, there's people that can be, there. there's going to be like, you know, teachers there, there's going to be counselors there. There's going to be this, that we're going to deal with grief counseling. Like they're doing all this stuff. Yeah. But back in 1995, I think it happened 95, back in 1995, like there's just, you know, <laughs> they brought somebody in once or twice for a couple of times. They did a little bit and, and that was about it. They, the administration sounded like they just wanted to pat, pat, get it over with. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, you might put it that way. I mean, you know, just from an outsider standpoint, uh, you started making you know, some bad life choices after that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so there was a, uh, a lot of alleged recreational use. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just for anybody who's listening now and everything, this part wasn't on the recording or anything, but, you know, I, I told you before that, you know, there might come a time in the middle of this recording where, uh, you know, my daughter might show up and everything. So I might just speak a little bit around the bush, but sure. Uh, that's basically what's going on. So just, you know, read into whatever I'm saying and read into it, knowing that I'm meaning for it to be read into. Got it. Um, the point is, okay. So there was a lot of recreational, um, ended up getting into, into uh, trouble a couple of times with, you know, uh, a little bit more, nothing usually more than a slap on the wrist, but, you know, um, a couple of days here, a couple of days there, a couple of days here, uh, not, not from sentencing or anything, but just, you know, just in the moment and boom, I wake up and I'm like, here again. <laughs> right. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, just, just being in situations where like, you know, things are going on and I'm, and this is happening, that's happening. And all of a sudden I wake up and I'm like, 
what the heck am I doing in a situation? Like sure. This? I mean, yeah. One, one that comes up vividly. And, and this I actually did have an epiphany about. I guess you call it an epiphany and everything, but it wasn't like what we were talking about before where, you know, just everything just snaps, changes. Cause I still, again, I still don't really believe that happens. Um, but like I was, okay. So I'm in Brooklyn. This was at a time in that I was in school in, um, in Newark, New Jersey. I was staying in Brooklyn. Okay. I was hanging out with all these kids in Brooklyn and I ended up, you know, going with these kids, going with those kids, you know, whatever. So I was hanging out with different friends of mine and I ended up at this kid's house and his mom was probably like mentally unwell, mentally unstable. Right. I don't know if his dad was around. If he was, who knows if he was mentally stable. And we're all sitting in the back and we're all smoking. And his mom comes out and she just starts screaming at him. Right? Yeah. Now, this was a day when smoking was much more frowned upon than it is right now. Uh, you know, nowadays, like, they're like, everything's legal, you know, in almost any state. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that her problem was, if I don't, if I recall correctly, it wasn't, the, the issue wasn't like, oh my gosh, you're doing this thing, you're not supposed to be doing it. It was like other just stuff and it was just like unhinged stuff. I mean, it was like insane. And like, we're all just sitting there like, you know, I mean, we're, we're like 16, 17, right? All of us, maybe some of us are like 15 and stuff. And we're all just sitting there like, oh, <laughs> what is happening around us? And, and, and I was sitting there and I'd like, I had this realization that like, okay, so like, meaning at first it was like, holy hell, like, I cannot believe it. Like, this is happening right now. And like, I'm terrified. I'm like, whatever. And like, I just had this like realization that like, okay, so like, but like, this is a guy I don't really know that well. It's not really like my friend. Like this is, and this is the, the actual realization. The words were like, this is not my reality. Like it, I'm living in this moment right now. But like, right. the fact is, is that as soon as I decide to be like, dude, peace, I'm leaving. I'm yeah. out of here. Like his mom's not going to talk to me anymore. She's not going to yell anymore. Like she couldn't care less about me. Like, it's just, I've got nothing to do with any of this. I just happen to be in a really uncomfortable situation where the mom's like flipping out her kid. And I'm like, ah, you know, yeah. So that was the realization that like, sometimes we put ourselves into these places or into these moments. Right. And, and we absorb all of the energy of the moment sometimes for the better. Most of the time that I'm, most of the times that I'm talking about right now for the worse, right. We absorb all this negative energy and we like take it in and we're like, Oh, no, like this is terrible and all this stuff is happening it's awful and it's this but like a lot of times it's not our reality that we're dealing with and like we're just absorbing this like other energy that's coming in from the people around us and and so when we when we have this realization that 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 you know this is the type of situation that we can pick ourselves up from and excrete ourselves from at any point in time it becomes a lot easier to deal with said reality because then you're like okay you know um uh you know maybe a good uh, maybe a i'm just thinking about this now a decent example might be like let's say uh you know plane flying flying on a plane um oh, what's his name sean sean accord in like the happiness advantage he talks about how there's like this noted study that if you show up to like maybe he says it in a speech but like you show up it's like a um the waiting area for a flight yeah, you act all fidgety and all antsy and everything, and you're like yeah. all nervous and stuff. Yeah. You will make literally everybody in that area antsy, fidgety, and nervous because people like absorb the things that are going on around them. Right, right. And when he's talking about it, he jokes. He's like, "Don't do this on your flight. Do it on the flight next door." You know. <laughs> but the but the but the point is, is like if the stewardesses are having a bad day, if the plane is like a little bit turbulent or whatever, right? Like, I you know, unless you fly a lot, like 
okay, so you had a bad flight, right? But like, it's not gonna, it, it shouldn't necessarily ultimately change your life forever. Like it could be like, okay, like I had a, it's really hard to be on that flight, but it's not my reality because as soon as the flight's over, like the next time I'm getting on a fly, plane, it's in two weeks and six weeks and 12 months, whatever. Like, and, but, but meanwhile, a lot of people like planes are just like really, really hard to be on. So it might be, that be a great example. But the point is, is like, um, we can be in many situations a coworker that's sitting there and complaining about something happening at home. And like, we just like absorb all that negative energy and we're like, Oh, you know, like all of a sudden right. all our stuff is going crappy. Like that's not your reality necessarily. I mean, you can, you can maybe commiserate a little bit and you can maybe sit there and, 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 and be empathetic a little bit, but you have to be able to like create that separation between you and whatever's going on. Ari, what lessons did you learn from the negative lifestyle uh, you were pursuing? to strive for things that are better, to strive for better things, to look for the positive in everything. Okay. Uh, and that doesn't always come right away. There are times we're going to be, when we are going to be in these situations and we're going to be looking at the negative and that's all we can see. And that's okay. That's not okay to live there, but that's okay. You know, what you have to kind of do is, is try and find the positivity in things because there's always a positive to it. Um, there's always an aspect of it that, you know, um, that can really change your outlook and everything. And so there, there's so, there's so many lessons I'm trying to just like compact into like small things, but the look for the positive. What, what was the turning point, uh, for you, uh, to get on the right pathway? What was that turning? So, point? As we were talking about before, like it's a lot of baby steps, uh, certainly. Um, right. but I feel like, a you know, I was also telling you briefly, um, I feel like I went through a lot of healing in many, many ways. Uh, when I ended up, I ended up in this house, uh, I was living in one place, I was living in another, like whatever. I had a girlfriend for a little bit. She's like, you gotta get out of your place you're in right now. Truth is maybe I shouldn't have listened to her, but whatever. Meaning whatever, you know, long story, <laughs> but like it, it worked out for the best, even though like I broke off there shortly after because I ended up in this house with a whole bunch of Yemenite Israelis in there. So like, they're like, they're just like very culturally different than, than Americans. But wait, was this in New York? It was in Baltimore. In Baltimore. Okay. Yeah. So like friends of mine who ended up, cause like a lot of what ended up happening is like a lot of Israelis that were in on visas would come and hang out at the house. And a lot, a lot of our friends would come and hang out at the house. So like my friends used to call it like little Israel. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of Israeli culture happening, um, and like a lot of like cla not clashing but mixing of cultures. Yeah, um, and so so I mean I I I've always felt close to Yemenites because growing up a close friend of my parents is Yemenite. I mean she's I think she's pretty much a lot more Americanized than these guys were, but like you know she's very Yemenite. Uh, she she married a an American guy, but she's like super Yemenite and everything. So like I grew up and like, you know, it's funny. Like her daughter, I went to visit one of her daughters when I was in Israel, like during the year that I was living in that house. And her daughter's like, you you're gonna you gotta try this chicken soup. It's the best chicken soup. It's got I think it was like cumin or something. She's like, it's it's Yemenite chicken soup. You've never had something like this in your life. And she serves it to me. I'm like, I have this all the time. She's like, what? <laughs> you know? Um. But so I had already had that like kinship, that, that, that feeling of a connection with the Yemenites. And then, and then I ended up in this house and like, I'm like this little baby. And the guy who brought me in, who's a few years older than me, he moved out of the house. And so now it's like mostly just me and a bunch of um, 
a bunch of these Yemenite Israelis. And I brought another friend of mine into the house. It was like two American kids that are both like 1920 and a bunch of these like Yemenites who were mostly like 30, 31. Right. Okay. So they were older than you. Much older. Yeah. Much older. And so like, yeah. um, and one of the, it was funny because like one of them didn't speak any, spoke with only a few words of English and I only spoke a few words of Hebrew, but like he was the one that I ended up feeling like I had the closest connection to because if you've never experienced it, it's hard to explain, but if you have experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's some people you might just be on the same wavelength with, right. with just a couple of words and like a lot of exaggerated hand motions and right. a lot of laughing. You can have yeah. like these whole conversations and like get this like real connection to somebody that you can't speak a word to. And, and, you know, that, I feel like that happened a number of times with him. Like, and like, it would also be like, you know, I mean, at the time I smoked, so like, it would be, you know, there was just like this constant, like taking care of that was happening. Um, um, not like, not like a severe nurturing, like that would happen with like a more like, I, I always liken it to like an older brother, right? Like, um, like I'd be like, Hey, you know, let me try and bum a cigarette. I'm all out. And he'd like reach into his drawer, pull out a pack and throw it to me and be like, here's like a whole pack, you know? Um, they would like bang on my door at seven o'clock in the morning and be like, what are you doing today? And I'm like, dude, go away. And they're like, are you doing anything today? Like, are you on shift at the places that you're working? And I'm like, no, go away. I'm trying to sleep. And they're like, get in the van. I'm like, what? They're like, get in the van. You have to come work. I'm like, I don't want to work. They did like moving stuff and everything, right? They would like had a moving company. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to work. I'm like, I want to sleep. And they're like, get in the van. You're coming with us. I'm going here. He's going there. There's nobody speaks English. You got to go speak English for the customer. I'm like, ah, fine. I mean, they paid me, of course, you know, like, so, but like, they knew that I was like working part-time and everything by choice. Like a lot of times I was in school while I was there, but, um, but they knew that I was like, you know, and they, they knew that I could use the money and not in a bad way. And they weren't forcing me or anything, but it was just like, like, like an older brother would sit there and be like, dude, you got to come work with me today. Yeah. They're trying to help you. They're trying to help you. And helping themselves. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't, but it was, it was like a, it was like a good relationship and everything. It was just like. And then there's also like, um, I, f- I feel personally like there's a lot of cultural things in American culture, uh, certainly back then, maybe still today, that like there's certain cultural attitudes that America has that are maybe, let's say that they're a little bit less healthy than uh, more European or more um, Middle, uh, Middle Eastern, more, more Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Mediterranean, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. Then like the more European Mediterranean culture. And right. so like when, they, when I was like living around them all the time and I saw this like interaction that was more of a Mediterranean interaction, like it, it healed, I think to some level, certain parts of myself where I was like, okay, like that, you know, and like, it just, I don't know. Um, I feel like it was like, it was like a year that just like helped me tremendously and everything. And it got you into a good groove. Yeah, I have a lot of gratitude. I have a lot of gratitude for them. Uh, you know, nothing. Um, it wasn't fixed after that or anything like that. But certainly, I was doing much better yeah. after that. that was, yeah, that's certainly some time that I can look at and be like, yeah, like things start, certainly started to turn around then. Ari, when did when did your uh, entrepreneurship journey start, and how did that come about? My entrepreneurship journey is a can of worms <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> Uh, it started in 2007 okay. and it's been a wild journey. Like uh, um, I have not had any, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will sit there and be like, especially people who want to go speak will be like, yeah, I had this company, I sold it for this much. And I had this and I sold it for this much. Um, I haven't made any of those things happen yet. I've, I've done a tremendous, tremendous amount of learning and um, brainstorming 
and like there's certain things that I've always I guess the best way to put it is like that I've missed in the sense that like you know if you if you do like personality assessments right there's all different types of people out there and so you know when you have like an ideas man like uh like Elon Musk or whoever like they're able to get to the point of that by surrounding themselves with people who are the, like the implementators, right? Right. And so I've, I've not yet f- fully successfully surrounded myself with like the implementators to sit there and get my many, many, many ideas up and off the ground, like fully up and off the ground and then operational and everything. But, um, but I mean, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster and it's a journey and, and I'm still on it. Uh, you know, I've got a number of projects that I'm like working with different people to get them implemented. Because again, I've recognized this uh, weakness. Well, I, I don't know. Um, uh, weakness maybe is not a great word. Whatever. Let's just say weakness. Um, there might be a better word for it. But I've recognized that, you know, I have this strength in coming up with ideas and ways to implement it and ways to work it out but this weakness in the sense that like um you know shiny object syndrome plus you know the the other things that are going on so it's so 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 i'm, I'm trying to like sit there and, and offset that weakness with people who have that strength and they're you know they have that weakness and i have my strength so we can sit there and turn it into like a real team um so there's a number of projects that i'm working on like that right now that that you know god willing will hopefully turn into uh you know different different things and then there's also you know, you had mentioned the speaking before and everything, but obviously, as you can imagine with COVID, speaking is a little bit of a... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, a little, little challenging. Yeah, it's a little challenging. It's a challenging industry to be in right now. So I'm kind of like biding my time as the, as the, uh, as the events industry slowly starts to come back and everything. But, you know, they, we keep on going through the roller coaster of... Yeah, yeah, that's for without sure. Without going into too much detail. But yeah, the, the roller coaster of it is certainly making it challenging. But... Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident with the, within one to three years or so, like the events industry, hopefully we'll be back to normal and everything. We'll get, get past some of the craziness and some of the roller coaster of, of events and everything right. and get back to a little bit more uh, stability. Ari, how do you use your life experiences uh, when you speak to these corporations and other groups of people? How do you use those life experiences? Uh, I use them in the way that makes the most sense at the time. So one of the things that I, I was just telling, uh, you know, a client, a potential client the other day, because we were talking about a charity event that, uh, you know, she wants me to come speak at. And I was explaining to her because she was telling me that, she, you know, one year they had, they had this particular type of guest and they were amazing because they came in and they were like really interesting. And then another year they had a motivational speaker come in. And the motivational speaker just wanted to come in and give a motivational speech. And that's not what they'd asked for. They'd say, we want you to come in. We want you to tell your story, explain how, you know, your, how this particular project came about. Like, we're not hiring you to be a motivational speaker. We're hiring you to be an interesting speaker at our luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> and the person came in and they're like okay everybody take these sheets and now we're gonna write our name down like this and let's all like yeah rah rah sis kumba and they were like oh no like it was the wrong venue for like uh for like a super motivational speech because they were like that's not what we're here for we're here to like have like a nice interesting luncheon for a fundraiser and that's it um but I, what i was telling her is that is that my my number one goal is to make sure that anything that I speak about, any, any experience that I give is the absolute best experience that I can possibly give for your event. 
So if that means, uh, you know, uh, at, a holiday, at a holiday party one time, you know, they wanted to focus on a life with purpose. So I crafted an entire speech based on my stories, based on my materials about living a, li- living a purpose-driven life. Um, another time, you know, people wanted to hear my stories. So I crafted a speech with a good message with the story. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's really about what's going to make the most sense. And it's, it's not about me, although, although I use my own experiences and my own stories to make it more interesting and to make it more relatable. Um, like if you read books about speeches, there's a particular book that I'm thinking of, uh, the, the um, Walk Like Link and Stand Like Churchill or something like that. Um, so he says that he, he, he says straight out, he's like, take a story. I don't care who it happened to, but make it happen to yourself because that's the only story people care about. Meaning he's basically saying like, lie about it because I, I don't know like the right way to put it, but almost like lie about it because yeah. that's the way people <laughs> talk to it. Um, and I have to figure out like for myself how to do that because I'm not comfortable like lying. So like maybe there's a way to like tell it in first person and then afterwards be like, by the way, that story didn't actually happen to me. It happened to but, uh, jazz um, it up, jazz it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. gotta, you gotta create create pictures in people's minds, right? Because that's what we're doing as speakers is we're we're trying to create a running movie in somebody's mind so that they sit there and absorb and understand and connect and get to it. But anyways, um, yeah. So my mo- my most important thing is to make sure that it makes sense for them. And um, so I do tell stories from my own life, but that's not the point. The only point of that is to make it more interesting uh, and make it more relatable. But the main point is is that I work with the event planner to make sure that it's the best thing. Like um, another, another example was this company was going through a major merger and there was a lot of stuff going on. And like, there was a lot of people who were like super concerned and there were like all these obstacles that people had to get through and the people weren't necessarily going to be mentally prepared for. And so I literally came in there and I gave a speech about overcoming obstacles, turning obstacles into opportunities and just presenting because it was like, okay, you guys are going through this big merger and everybody's terrified and everybody's going on like this. Like, let's talk about that. And that's, that's what we did. You have what you call five keys to greatness. Can you talk about them and, and, and who inspired them in you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in retrospect, I, I like to say that the rabbi that we spoke about before that he inspired them, at least the concept of looking to achieve greatness, right? If right. not these uh, specific keys. The five keys to greatness, just to plug a little bit, is the subject of my book, The Little Book of Greatness that we, you had mentioned before. Yes, it's uh, a parable, since, by the way, for everybody out there. It's, I believe it's, it's available. It's a parable, right? Yeah, it's, it's written as a parable. It's a short read. Um, you know, if you put it into a calculator, it tells you about how long it takes to read. It says just over three hours. And obviously, there's people who read faster, people who read slower. That's okay. And uh, what was it? Oh, so since I think that you wrote that bio, like it's won a number of awards as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, so like it's it, the people who read it love it. It's really cool. But like it basically it's just following a guy on a journey while he learns about these five keys to greatness. The five keys to greatness are in a very brief nutshell. And that's, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't want you to give the book away. No, not even giving the book away. Like whatever, you know, if people... I, I like to say, if people want to want to figure it out, like they can go read through the reviews. People have like written them out in the reviews. They can find it. Like you can download the first two chapters on my website, littlebookofgreatness.com. And in the in the table of contents, it says what the what the keys are. So there's still a tremendous amount of information you can get by reading it. But like to get the overview and to get the idea, and then you can just think about it on your own. You can contemplate it and figure new things out. But basically, 
Um, the way to remember them is the word great, G-R-E-A-T, the five keys to greatness, the word great, G-R-E-A-T, and that's give, reason, uh, give, re engage, that's what it is, sorry. Give, reason, engage, amazing, and tenacity. Tenacity. So it's, yeah, it's about being able to, to, be, to be more giving, to be to providing more, and that can be anything. That can be money, that can be time, that can be compliments, that can be a smile. I mean, you can go, you can just continue thinking about ways to be a giving person, and that applies there. Um, and I did like I did, I did a lot, a lot, a lot of thinking about this stuff and almost anything that you might be like, but what about this and this and this? And I'll be like, no, 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 it fits into this key, right? right. Um, so these are kind of like, you know, overarching concepts that other things fit into. And it's a framework. I, I like to call it a framework as opposed to a system. A lot of people give you a, you know, oh, you know, listen to my system and you'll become an amazing person. <laughs> Step one do this. Step two, you know, you need another notebook to take notes on the first notebook because you, the first notebook wasn't enough to take notes from the book and everything in order to be able to implement the system. And it's just so complicated and so hard to put it, to put into play that like, it's really hard to use in your life. So I, I like to call it a framework. Just think of these five keys, think of areas in your life that you can improve in these five areas, and then just try and implement it. So it's give reason is to, is to create a purpose for living. And you can use that in major areas of your life. You know, the typical would be work at home, but somebody who has additional major areas of their life, if they, let's say, um, do a lot of exercise, they can go ahead and create a purpose for that or whatever would be applicable for somebody's life. Engage is to be more present in the present moment. And that's incredibly hard nowadays because of cell phones and social media and things like that. So that's something to always think about. A is for amazing. That's what we talked about before. You, uh, using more of a positive mindset with your life. And T is for tenacity. Something's okay. hard, something's not working, just keep at it and keep going and be persistent and it's gonna come. What tips do you have for people dealing with unfortunate life circumstances such as addiction, death of a loved one, divorce? I mean, there's, it's, it's just really hard to be going through things like that. So there's no real tip that's gonna be like, poof, all your problems are gone. That's just not the way that the world works. Um, I think the best thing to think about is, is that life is kind of like a roller coaster, right? Right. Or if you don't, if you don't use the roller coaster analogy, cause it's fast moving, you know, let's, let's say more that like life is kind of like walking through the mountains. There are times that we're going up and there are times we're going down, but just because you're going down doesn't mean you're always going to be going down there. There will come a time because we we're not walking on flat earth. We're not walking straight downhill. We're walking from a mountain into a valley back up to a mountain. So, uh, even if it feels like, you know, uh, to quote scripture, you know, yay, though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Right. So we can be in a terrible moment, in a very, very dark moment with a lot of things that are very, very hard, very, very bad happening, but it gets better. It, it, there's, there's almost always a light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you also hear stories about people who went through different things, you know, people who get sick and, and you know, they, they, get, they get cancer, they're on death's door, and they come out of it and they're like, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, I'm not wishing that on anybody. I'm not wishing it for myself. You know, no, we, nobody should really know of those things. But the people who do go through those things, they end up, a lot of them end up getting far more contemplative, far more uh, appreciative of the small things. And, and so... Um, when we're going through those really, really hard moments. I and mean, I'm just, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a, there's an up to every down. There's, um, there's things, there's things coming around. Ari, you are a WFR, which is a wilderness first responder 
and you're also a wilderness liaison. What prompted you to pursue that endeavor? And can you just briefly describe those two jobs for us? Sure. So neither one of them are really, are really a job job. Uh, I call myself a wilderness liaison because I'm not a wilderness guide. A wilderness guide would be well-versed in a particular type of terrain or activity and specifically take people to those things. I like to, get, I like to advocate for getting people outdoors. And so that's why I, outdoors into nature, into the backcountry, et cetera. So that's why I like to call myself a liaison. I'm trying to, you know, so like if you wanted to go whitewater rafting, but you didn't know what to do, or you were a little bit afraid to go, I would say, great, let's get a group together and I'll go ahead and do all the arrangements. I'll cover all the logistics. I'll cover all of this. And we'll do like a, you know, multi-day whitewater rafting trip, or we'll do a trip that has rafting and caving, or we'll do this. Like I, I ran a camp over this past summer and I got kids out into nature. I got them into caving. I got them into whitewater rafting, hiking, you know, just different cool outdoor backcountry nature things. And then as far as the wilderness first responder, uh, it's, it's I, before I got it, it's been a dream of mine for a long time. I think I wanted to move, I, I think I didn't realize it, but I wanted to be in the outdoor space ever since I was a kid, like you asked before, and I was playing in that forest behind my house. Uh, and then at four, after ninth grade, maybe I was 14 or so, um, so I got to go on an outward bound trip and that was like sailing and rock climbing up in Maine. And it was like just absolutely fantastic. And I really wanted to go into that field, but my recreational use, I, I believe my recreational use got in the way of that. And also like just different things. Like maybe if I'd sat down with somebody who knew what they were talking about, they would have like pushed me to go with my woofer back then. That's the, how you call it, a woofer. Um, a woofer, it's yeah. Just a, it's just a medical certification uh, to be able to help people medically out in the back country. It's just under, just below EMT but you can't use it in the front country. Like I was like saying to my teacher, I'm like, yeah, if somebody's bleeding out in front of me in like a hotel, he's like, can't do nothing. Pick up the phone, dial 911. I'm yeah. like, but like in the middle of the back country, he's like, then you treat him. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Ari, what excites you mo- uh, the most going forward in your work? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working at creating my, uh, my entrepreneurial setup to be able to be out in nature more. You know, I've got a few projects going on um, that I'm working on that, I, that as I launch each of these projects and, you know, hopefully I have a team in place to take care of each one of them, that they will allow me, first of all, the justification and second of all, the resources to be able to be outdoors much more. As I mentioned before, I ran a camp over last summer. I'm planning on doing that again this summer, um, you know, just be giving teams the opportunity to just enjoy the great outdoors. Um, I find that the that nature, this is one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for being outdoors. Nature has such tremendous healing powers that people don't realize and people don't recognize. Uh, you know, if somebody's feeling stressed, go for, I, I, I dare you to go for a 30, 40 minute walk out in the woods. And that doesn't mean backcountry dangerous area. Like you can find a city park somewhere and depend, depends on the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but like, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, I used to live in Cleveland, so I was near Beechwood. And in Beechwood, there's this, this uh, park in between two parts of this road called Shaker Boulevard, right? It's not a big park. It's maybe like 300 feet across, but there's a pathway and it's, and it's, and it's, um, it's what do you call it? It's, it's paved, right? Yeah. But you're, you, you feel almost like you're in nature. Go walk in there for 30, 40 minutes and everything and tell me how you feel afterwards. Tell me if you haven't at least figured out some of your problems uh, or at least feel better, you know, feel more relaxed, feel more anything. You know, if nature's got just a tremendous, tremendous ability to, to heal our soul. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, I had just taken some trips to uh, Utah. 
Oh, nice. Uh, Zion National Park and uh, and Bryce and and Moab up in Arches and then South Dakota, uh, the Black. What was it? Not the Black. Black The Badlands. The Badlands. Badlands, And you feel, yeah, you it makes just makes you feel so much more in tune. Yeah, you know, with everything, it's fantastic. beefing up on my backpack and stuff so i can be like even more comfortable because I'm, I'm trying to get my buddy to come out with me to shenandoah for like some winter camping uh if you know at some, once once i've got the rest of the gear and everything to, to be fully warm because the last time i went winter camping um i borrowed some of the gear so like I'm, I'm almost finished filling up the gear to be nice and warm and toasty in my tent overnight and i just spoke to him the other day and he's like yeah he's like i'm down so like we're gonna try and figure something out that's great how can people contact you ari uh, the best way to get in touch is my website, ariguns.com. That's A-R-I-G-U-N-Z. Uh, you know, it's guns with a Z. So A-R-I-G-U-N-Z.com. And that'll take you to my main website and all the different ways to get in contact with me. Please feel free to reach out. I'm also on Instagram, same thing, ariguns, at ariguns. And, uh, you know, def- I'm, I'm not really on Instagram that much, but if you reach out, I'll eventually see <laughs> <laughs> like I was saying before, I know you will. Ready. I know you will because I reached out and you did get back to me. So yes, yeah, no, I mean, he, will, I, he will get back to you. <laughs> I don't love, I don't love, I don't love social media, but I do have some of the profiles, and, and I'm trying to find somebody to kind of like take the horns on it. Although that's a big no-no to say, so don't don't tell anybody. <laughs> I will, um, listen. I will listen. But, you know, it. just to not just to be able to like be active without actually using my own brain because it's it's. I don't think social media is healthy. That's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to, to be able to be active for the business purposes without like sure. losing the brain space that, that you lose when you're doing it for yourself and everything. Yeah. I'm going to list that in the podcast notes. Thank you so much, Ari, for being Absolutely. on the Appreciate podcast. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for being on the podcast, for sharing your story with us. Uh, it was so inspiring hearing how one of life's traumatic events led to positive things happening for you in the end. Your story uh, will give others hope and encouragement. I wish you all the best going forward. Comments and suggestions to improve the podcast, please email us at itsarapwithrap at gmail.com. Our website is itsarapwithrap.com. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, It's a Rap with Rap. We're on Instagram, It's a Rap with Rap podcast, and all the episodes are on YouTube. It's a Rap with Rap, the podcast uncut. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap.